Well, good morning. It's nice to see you all again. I'm Doug. <laughs> I feel like I need to introduce myself to everyone again. It's like been a month since I was here. I had the dreaded COVID again. <clears throat> but it um, doesn't get any better no matter how many times you have that thing. And uh, so I was out for a Sunday and then Dave and I were in the UK uh, for a couple of Sundays uh, at our global advanced gathering, which we only have every, um, well, we have it every, supposed to have it every two years. We haven't because of COVID had it since 2019 in Cape Town. So it was just, it's like a big family reunion. I don't know what your family's like. Maybe family reunion is like something you suffer through, but this is the exact opposite. This is like, imagine the best family getting together that's all around the world and you haven't seen each other for ages and you get to spend a few days together. It was just so life-giving. It was amazing. There were about 400 of us gathered together in Bournemouth, which is on the coast of the UK. I didn't know where it was either, so don't worry if you don't. Uh, think Durban, but less cool. Uh, <laughs> and smaller, and way more old people. That's Bournemouth for you. I'm like a travel agent on the side, so if you want to go there, give me a ring. Um, and you know, we were there for a few, uh, quite a few days, and it was brilliant. Some of the highlights of it is that we... Because we haven't met for a while, we added in 36, about 36 new churches to advance globally, which uh, welcome them, which is just it's brilliant to see how God is adding uh, churches that have been multiplied in advance, brand new churches. We added the first church in Australia, uh, a whole bunch of churches in uh, India and Nepal that are joining in, which is just amazing where those guys meet. They showed us some footage. I mean, some of those churches, it takes multiple days just to get when they go and visit those churches, just to get there. It's not like you fly airport and Uber to the church. It's like you've got to like catch this and then this and then this and then still walk like a day to get to the church. And they're part of Advance. They're part of the same family of churches we are. And uh, it, was, it was wonderful to be there. And I'll be sharing some more highlights and th- things that have come out of the time together. But uh, one thing to be praying into uh, is that there's a massive emphasis in our time together on the, on the health of the movement. Movement's been through a few bumps in the last couple of years at a leadership level and through COVID. And it was a really sobering time for us to be together and sense the Lord speaking to us about a renewed emphasis on the health of the leaders within advance and the health of the churches. And there's a lot of money and emphasis being put towards every church in advance becoming as healthy as it possibly can be. I think COVID's taught us that and exposed a lot of unhealth in us and contributed to a lot of unhealth, uh, both mentally, spiritually, physically, everywhere. And there's a massive push to wanting to be as healthy as we can be. So uh, I'll share more about that in the, in the coming weeks. But it was, it was great. I got to visit and preach at two different churches, in, uh, advanced churches, one in Grace, London, right in the middle of London in Waterloo. And been there before, and it was great to see them again and see how God is causing them to flourish. And then Dave and I went to a little town called Wokingham, um, near Reading, uh, in a new church that's only about two years old that sort of launched in lockdown. And uh, yeah, it was great to be with them. They meet in a climbing center. It's one of the coolest churches you've ever been to. Uh, I was wondering how, I mean, these oaks, they're next level, they're disciplined, because if I was a congregant there, because you're sitting with all these climbs, if you're not into climbing, it's like all these little roots up the wall, I would, I would just be figuring out like a way up each Sunday, like, okay, if I went there, like, I'd be so distracted, I wouldn't be able to concentrate. And they just looked at me, and they paid attention. I was like, you guys are super saints. Uh, 
I was very impressed with them. So it was great to be there, and then we jumped on a plane and got back here. So once you open up a Bible to Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at verses 12. So if you're on a phone, head to Philippians 1, verse 12. Um, I didn't have a break from uh, preaching while I was over there, but I did have a chance to have a lot of conversations with a lot of people who we love and some people who were brand new to me. And, um, and, and in my normal kind of Bible reading, landed up going through Philippians a couple of times. And I was, I was struck by a phrase, one line in the book of Philippians, in chapter 1, where Paul urges the church in Philippi to live a life worthy of the gospel. To live a life worthy of the gospel. And it's been churning in me uh, since I read it and in conversations that I had with people. And I want us to look today at that. I want us to, uh, I, 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 having read Philippians again with fresh eyes, was so struck by Paul. Paul is the apostle, the missionary who wrote Philippians. And you read how he describes his life and his priorities and the way he lives and the way he structures his life. And it's, it's like having a cold bath. It, it's such a shock to the system when you think of how we and many others we bump into live life and make decisions and how our priorities are ordered. And you listen to Paul and you're just like, what on earth? You just sound like you're from another planet. And yet... Yet so full of life and such a, I would say, a model and an example to us. And I want us to dive into this phrase. Then I want us to look at how Paul models it and then how he encourages the Philippian church to live out this thing. How do you live a life that's worthy of the gospel? Because that's his encouragement to them. There's different ways that we can live our lives, isn't it? You can live your life chasing a whole bunch of other things with different priorities. But the instruction from Paul and I think God's command and command commendation to us is to live your life worthy of the gospel. But what does that actually look like? Well, let's, let's read this passage and then we can dive into a few things that I think God wants to show us this morning. From verse 12. <clears throat> now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. This is him, sorry, context. He is in prison Probably in Rome. I'm not 100% sure which, which imprisonment this is, but it's probably when he's in Rome. So he is writing this sort of chained up, uh, dictating, while he is under house arrest in Rome. <clears throat> what I want you to know, brothers and sisters, is that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial God and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Yes, 
and I will continue to rejoice because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I'm persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. Let's pray together. Father, we worship you for the gift of your word that has spoken and continues to speak. And we ask again this morning that you would send and presence the Holy Spirit amongst us to teach us to speak uh, your life-giving words that um, transform us, that shape us, that encourage us, that convict us, that build us and make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. We so desperately long to hear from you. We so desperately need um, to, to hear life-giving words. And so we pray. We come under your word. As wise he was praying, we come under your word. We don't come over it. We come under it. Let it speak to us. And thank you that you have prepared in advance encouragement for us and truth and revelation of your heart and your ways to us. And we pray we would have ears to hear and eyes to see this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's start by looking at Paul, this, this guy who seems to just live his life so radically different. He is obsessed with Jesus. He's obsessed with Jesus. I don't know if all of my children are here. It's always a bit nerve-wracking talking about your kids. Okay, one of them's here. I think the, the other one. I have one child who will remain nameless, who is obsessive. So the particular child... I don't want to give the gender away, obsesses about things and goes from one thing to the next thing. The current obsession is the electric guitar. So it's just like eat, sleep, breathe, everything is learning the electric guitar and the, the world's best guitar solos. And he's actually figuring them out. It's amazing. It's weird walking around the house listening to music that you grew up listening to, the, um, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Nirvana, and he's walking around listening to the same songs, figuring out how to play them on the guitar. But he obsesses about one thing at a time. It was mountain biking, then it was animals, then it's electric guitar, it's drums. It's, 
That's how his life works. He just moves from one obsession to the next. It's quite cute to see how he masters these different things. Paul is obsessed about Jesus Christ. You can't help but read and look at his life and see everything. This guy is obsessed about Jesus. And I want to show you three areas that, he, that you find in this relationship he has with the Philippians. Um, three L's. Amazing. He has a longing for the presence of Jesus. He has a longing for the presence of Jesus. You hear the conflict in him. Yeah, he, says, he says, for me to live is Christ, in verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. No, we don't speak like that. I don't know anyone who speaks like that. I don't speak like that. I don't think I'm going to have a promotion when I die. I can't wait to be with Jesus. I'm quite happy here. You know, I like being alive and living my life and seeing all of you. And we, we get far too comfortable and happy down here. But listen to Paul. Verse 23, I'm torn between the two. I long, I long to depart and be with Christ, which is way better, which is far better. It's better for him to go in Jesus. He has a longing to be in the presence of Jesus. He says it's way better than not being stuck with them, but being with these Philippians who he loves and who he wasn't with them then, but he had been with them. It's far better to be with Jesus. These are, these are difficult things for us to read. It's probing things as you look at your own life. How comfortable are you here? Because this is the truth of the Scriptures, is that for those who are believers in Jesus, you were made to be with him. And we have to face up that our greatest joy is normally not in thinking, I long to be with Christ. For me to live is Christ. For my life now is all about Christ, but death would be a gain. Death would be better. Being with Jesus is far better. Paul sounds like a man from another planet. He had a longing to be in the presence of Jesus. Second thing is he's living for the glory of Jesus. Not only does he have a longing for the presence of Jesus, he's living for the glory of Jesus. Have a look in verse 20. He says, My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. What is his major obsession? That in his life, Christ would be honored. That Jesus would be honored in his life, whether by life or by death. He doesn't mind. He doesn't mind whether he lives or dies so long as Jesus Christ is glorified through his life. I don't know many people who talk like that either. I don't, I don't talk like that. I, like I said, I'm, I'm enjoying being alive. And I, I hope to maintain that situation for a while still. I don't necessarily have, maybe you don't, as your highest priority, the glory of God in your life, whether by life or by death. If your life would be more glorifying to God if it ended, would we say, then, then so be it. I don't want to hold on to life more than I hold on to this longing for the glory of God in my life. That's what Paul's saying. He's obsessed about the glory of Jesus Christ in his life. Third thing you see here is that he labors for the people of Jesus. Have a look at verse 24. He says, to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. He wants to go and be with Jesus, but he knows it's more necessary for the Philippian church that he stays. 
Since I'm persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. He has a longing to labor with this Philippian church for their growth in the faith. There it is, you see it, their progress and joy in the faith. He's obsessed about these people. He loves them. You have a look, I think it's in, in verse 8. He says, for God is my witness how deeply I miss you all. That's one good thing about traveling. The one great thing about being away from Parkers for a few weeks, you realize I actually miss you guys. I miss the people of the church that God has us amongst. It's nice to see other people. It's nice to travel. It's nice to meet people and make new friends. But it's much better <laughs> to be here. And Paul has the same thing. He, he loves this church. He loved the people that God had called him um, to, called to faith, to love and to lead and to preach to. And he's happy to pour out his life in labor to see them make progress and find joy in the faith. Those are his priorities. He could give his energy to a million other things. And let me ask this as a probing question. In what way are you working together in this church, in our church, to see others make progress and find joy in the faith? How are we doing that for each other? Because that is, I believe, part and parcel of what it means to be part of a church, is that we labor together like Paul did with the Philippians for progress and joy in the faith. We want to see each other make progress in faith. We want to see each other experience joy in faith, and we're willing to give of our energy and our strength for that. And it's our great joy to do that because we're obsessed with Jesus, not just because we want to be impressed, uh, impressive to other people, make them dependent on us. We're obsessed with Jesus. Paul is obsessed with Jesus. He wants to be with him. He wants his life to glorify him. And he is obsessed with the people of Jesus. And you, you read through the life of Paul and you see what he's willing to go through, what he's willing to suffer for all of these things. One pastor once said that most of us don't want to suffer a paper cut for Jesus. And he is willing to endure beatings, imprisonment, shipwreck, you know, being driven out there. They get chased out of town after town after town. And it's, it's not okay, but he's willing to suffer it. Why? Because he's obsessed with Jesus. He's obsessed with Jesus. Jesus. He has met Jesus, and Jesus has shaped his entire life. Jesus is not a bolt-on to his life, an optional extra. If he has time for Jesus and for his people and for mission, his encounter with Jesus has so fundamentally transformed and shaped his life that he goes through all of these things. And think of the turnaround in his life. Paul goes from persecuting the church to pastoring the church. Actively persecuting to pastoring. What happened to him? What happened to this man who went from hating the church to loving them, to writing letters with tears? He says again and again, I write this with tears. He, he loved them so much, he was moved to tears, thinking about them, missing them. He genuinely loved the church of Jesus Christ and he went from hating them Chasing them, persecuting them, and having them put to death. What happened to him? What changed this man from wanting to kill Christians to being willing to have himself be killed for them? What happened? He met Jesus. He met Jesus. Jesus came and met him on that road. 
and blinded him and turned his life upside down. And he lives the rest of his life obsessed with Jesus Christ. Jesus is not an optional added extra, a top-up, a bolt-on, a convenient thing, something to do on the weekends. That's why I said when you read this, it feels like we're taking a cold bath. Because for most of us, our relationship with Jesus is less hot than this. It's less fiery. It's less all-consuming. And I think we're the poorer for it. We're the poorer for it. What is his encouragement to them? He says this in verse 27. And your translation, depending, depending on your translation, you may have a different, it may say something differently, but it says just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. There's only actually a couple of words there that translators have used a bit of license here, uh, depending on what translation you have. The just one thing is actually one word. It's just a word that says only. Only this, basically. This is it. Pay attention. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is the motivation. This is the reasoning. This is what he grounds it in. Philippi was an interesting place. It was, it's still there. The ruins of it are still there in Greece. It's miles away from Italy, from Rome. And some, through some... We don't have time to go through convoluted history. The citizens of Philippi were granted Roman citizenship whilst living in the middle of Greece, this little coastal town. They were Roman citizens in Philippi. It was said that the, the, the in Philippi was treated as if it was the land of Italy. But they are miles and miles away from Rome and from Italy but they're treated as Roman. They were Roman citizens. In uh, Philippians, I think it's 3, verse 20, Paul again tells them, as citizens of heaven. That's where our, our true citizenship is. This, this rang differently in the ears of the Philippians because their citizenship was something they prized so much because they were Roman citizens, citizens miles away from Rome. So he, he's speaking in a language that they understand. He's saying, hey, you guys, you're so proud of your Roman citizenship. By the way, your citizenship is actually in heaven. Your citizenship is not here. It's in heaven. Traveling is a great reminder of where you're a citizen. You, know, you get to the passport control, and it's that whole sheep and the goat situation, left and right. You arrive at the UK. The UK citizens get to go there you know, just waltz through basically and the rest of you get herded like there where there's one person who begrudgingly processes everyone in around about two hours. And then you come back to South Africa and it's the reverse. You know, South Africans, you get treated with glory and honor and the rest of them, we send them off where there's one person begrudgingly processing them. But you still need to show proof of your citizenship. You know, you need a passport. You can't just rock up there and say, you know, like the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. This is all my father's and I'm just here to inspect it. You know, like let me in. I want to have a look around. You know, the lady in the, in the UK passport control that didn't even, she was looking at me very suspiciously when I thought I was coming to speak at a church. She wasn't very impressed with that. Uh, luckily, Dave's good looking. I think she took a shine to him and she let us in kind of thing. But anyway, you know, you need proof of documentation. You can't just say, you know, like, the earth is the Lord's. I want to go and have a look around everywhere. and I belong to him. Um, you need proof of citizenship. And most of us, have proof that you are a South African citizen. You have a passport. It enables you to do different things. And depending, in different parts of the world, 
the citizenship of your country can sometimes weigh and be more prized than your true citizenship. I believe the Bible makes a strong point that you are a citizen of the country because God has chosen the times and places where you get born. So God has a hand. God has the hand. He knows where you should be born and where you should belong. So, you know, we can be proudly South African. It's okay to be proudly South African. But our greatest pride and joy comes in what? In being citizens of heaven. Our true citizenship is in heaven. That's Paul's motivation for them to live a life worthy of the gospel. He says, you don't really belong here for the long term. You're just passing through here. Yes, you may have a temporary citizenship down here, but your ultimate citizenship is in your true home, and that is in heaven. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a believer, your true citizenship is there. So because of that, because that is your true home, now live your life worthy of the gospel. Live your life worthy of the gospel. We don't have an eternal view of things. We don't live with an eternal view of things. And I, I had some very sobering, honest discussions. You know, when you get together with other pastors and other Christian leaders and stuff like that, and you sort of compare notes around church and what's going on and stuff, you know, it's both encouraging and discouraging. And a common pattern that I think we felt um, talking with some people is hearing how people in churches, how COVID has affected people um, and caused them, in, in, in my assessment, not to live lives that are worthy of the gospel because they have, have lost this citizenship in heaven, eternal view of things. And the, the, the temporary, and temporary concerns have overtaken eternal things. So, so, so people will make a decision, and I'm not taking a stab at anyone here, okay? I'm not taking a stab at anyone. I'm just repeating to you what I see happening amongst us and all over the world, in church after church. You see people who will make a decision to go live somewhere where it's comfortable rather than where they can be more effective for the purposes of God. They drive and chase temporary things rather than eternal things. We heard some wonderfully encouraging stories of people who've decided not to chase comfort and chase discomfort for the sake of the purposes of the gospel. They've resisted moving somewhere else because they, wanted to, they didn't want to leave their church because God was doing something amongst them and they felt, I needed to be a part of this. I don't want to leave these people. I want to stay with them. God is using me amongst them. I'm staying even though it's tough. It's way easier there. There's more money. There's more comfort. There's more whatever else there. But I am making a decision in light of eternity, not temporary things. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you and I want to provoke you to an eternal view of things. Your citizenship is in heaven. Therefore, live a life worthy of the gospel. Guys, we are eternal beings. Our true citizenship is in heaven. And it should shape our daily decisions. It should shape the way that we function, how we live, our priorities. It should change everything. Because we're not just citizens of South Africa. We're ultimately citizens of heaven. And how does Paul say that they should live a life worthy of the gospel? There are a couple of things here. He says, I long to hear about you, that you're standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. There's a few things there. He says that I want you to be standing firm in one spirit. That's a military term. I want you to hold the line together. I want you to hold the line together. 
have each other's backs. Stand firm, not in your own strength, but in the strength that God gives you. This Philippian church were under immense pressure and persecution and heat, as was Paul. And he encourages them in the midst of this, stand firm. You know what some of our challenge is? That there's not enough heat on us here. I think it's probably going to come more and more. But listening to some of our other brothers and sisters around the world and the challenges that their churches are facing from the government, from the culture, the heat is rising. It becomes harder and harder to be a Bible-believing, faithful follower of Jesus. It's tougher and tougher and tougher. So it becomes harder to stand and to hold the line. It's much easier just to like walk away and say, oh, no, it's cool. Still, it costs too much. This is too taxing. It's Paul's encouragement to them. I long to hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. He says, I long to hear that you stand firm in one accord. That, that, that phrase is that you're one soul. It's a very interesting phrase. It's the only place that you actually find that it's used. One soul. That you together as a church, you have the same soul. You are in so much agreement with each other that there's a oneness to you. You almost share like one soul. Now, we're not getting all weird and new agey like you're in me and I'm in you and we're all like whatever, like shawa, like that's not what I mean. That we're all one soul kind of thing. Let's hold hands and sing kumbaya. Like, but we are together. We are in such agreement. We have each other's backs. Sizwe and I are brothers in Jesus Christ together. We are together. It's not just him and I. Old Uncle Al, this is the same. We are believers in Jesus. We are brothers. We are one soul. Matt is in. I'm going to keep going around the room here. I don't want to leave anyone out now that I've singled a few people. But you know what I mean? We're all one soul. That's what Paul's long as you are together. You have Christ as the head. You have the same spirit. You are one soul. Don't let anything get in between you, divide you, and have little groupings. Don't let that happen to you. Stay one soul. Contending together. That, that word is an athletic term. In the new NIV, I think, and the ESV translated, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Let me ask another question. How, how is that? What does that look like in your life? To be part of this church and to strive together with the brothers and sisters in this room who are part of this church for faith in the gospel. Striving together. Not just chilling on the couches. Striving together. Together, side by side, for faith in the gospel. Faith to believe in the gospel. Because we all struggle with unbelief. All of our all of the things that go sideways in our lives are when we stop believing the gospel. And this is, there's such an interconnectedness that Paul envisions amongst these guys that they strive for faith together with each other. I keep picking on Dave because he sits When Dave is losing his way, he's struggling for faith in the gospel. I'm with him and I'm in his life and I'm helping him to believe the gospel. I'm striving for him and with him for faith in the gospel. I'm not letting his unbelief just lead him away. I'm striving with him. And we do that all for each other. That's what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel. He says that you would be unafraid of your enemies. Unafraid. Like, bring it. Bring it, whoever opposes them. Paul says, I long that I would find you unafraid, full of courage. They can bring what they want. It's going to do nothing to us. There's churches around the world where they're locking up the pastor for some of the stuff that they preach. And I'm not talking in the middle of 
Kyrgyzstan, I'm talking in modern westernized countries. They're locking up pastors for preaching what the Bible says. And churches are having to go along without their teaching pastors, without their leaders. Would that scare you to come up if they locked me up next week for saying something controversial out of the scriptures? And then it was Andrew Burns' turn to come and lead next Sunday. How would you feel? Would you still hold to the truth of the scriptures? That's what it means to have courage and to stand unafraid of enemies. Bring it. Lock us all up. Lock us all up. We don't care. We're going to live lives that are worthy of the gospel, unafraid of our enemies. Embracing faith and suffering together. You see how he ends this section that we've been looking at? He says, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Not just to believe, but to suffer. It has been granted. It's been given to you, both faith and suffering. That's wild. That's wild, man. That, that just doesn't preach, doesn't sit happily like, hey, let, let's cut and smash the weak. But there are things that come to us and things that shape us that only come through suffering. Faith and suffering. That's what Paul says. It has been granted, it has been given to you, both to believe in Jesus and to suffer for him. He says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, in fact, All who want to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus will be persecuted. All who want to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus will be persecuted. There is going to come something in your life where faithful following of Jesus means that you're going to face persecution from someone and someone. If there's no pushback in your life, in any area, from anyone, at any time, You have to question how faithfully you're following Jesus or how much we're bending and accommodating and watering down what it means to faithfully follow. That's what he says. Hey, if you want to live a godly life in Christ, you're going to get persecuted. All of those things, he says, this is how, Philippian church, you will live a godly, you will live a life worthy of the gospel. As we come to close now, I want to I want to give you a minute to reflect on your own life and I want to pray for us that we would recommit ourselves to two different things. Two different things. They are, that are the same thing, but two different focuses. That we would pray that God would give us grace to recommit ourselves to the love and the pursuit of Jesus. That we, like Paul, would be obsessed. And when people speak about you, They would use words that are perhaps unkind, but they may describe you as being obsessed with Jesus. They hang out with you. They says he's just like different, man. We don't get him. Like he's just just a bit odd. And he just seems like always want to talk about Jesus and makes decisions based on what Jesus would want him to do. It just seems weird. Good. It should be weird. To the outside world, it should seem weird. It should seem life-giving to some. That's what it says. It's going to be life-giving to some. It's going to smell like life to others. It's going to smell like death to others. But people should look at, look at your life and think, you're a bit odd. You're a bit odd. You're a bit too enthusiastic about this Christianity thing. If you're not overly enthusiastic, I think we're doing it wrong. We have not, our hearts have not been captured by the person of Jesus Christ. 
And we start with Jesus because it's time with him. We long and we need to pray for God's grace to give us a greater longing to be with Jesus. It's like, Lord, I'll be here for as long as you want me to. As long as it's fruitful for me to be here, leave me here. But my true longing would be to be with Jesus. That is a grace that only God can give us to love Jesus like that. To, to long to want to be with him more than to be with anything here. A recommitment to Jesus and then a recommitment to his church. A recommitment to the brothers and sisters who are part of this church and who will become part of this church. To say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my life to these people. I'm going to lean in. I'm going to love them. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to find ways to strive together with them for faith and for joy and progress in the gospel. I'm going to do it. I'm not just going to come and rock up every now and then. I'm not going to be an attender. I'm not going to be a casual observer. I'm going to recommit myself to these people because it's the most healthy and life-giving way to be a part of a body. It's to lean in fully and have the rest of the body leaning into your life. That people know you and love you and are serving you and helping you and contending together, striving together with you for your own faith in the gospel. It's not just a club or something that we join. It's a family of believers all loving and longing and looking to Jesus together. And we press on and we go. And by God's grace, he'll make us more obsessed with Jesus and in his mercy we'll look more and more like him as he does that. So let's, let's come and let's sit before the Lord for a minute and let me pray for us. Maybe by way of response, we, we all have um, hearts that are in different places. And as we respond to God's word amongst us this morning, maybe you just want to spend some time um, speaking on your own to God, to, to your Father acknowledging the, the state of your own heart, whether you've let your, your love for Jesus just cool off. You, you wouldn't describe yourself as even vaguely obsessed with Jesus. There's no real longing to be with him or be like him or following his ways. Your heart's just grown a bit cool. And pray for God's grace to turn your heart uh, back to him this morning, to give you, through the work of the Spirit, a deeper longing, stronger desire for the, the person and the presence of Jesus Christ. There is no one like him. There's no one like him. There's no one who loves us like he loves us. And yet so often life can just happen to us, and so many other things can get in the way and crowd out love for Jesus and time with him. And pray for grace to have your heart turned back to him this morning. Maybe you've, maybe you've just 
lent out a bit of church and people. Church is not an event. Church is a family. Church is a people. You haven't, you haven't given yourself wholeheartedly to his people. You've held something back, prioritized other things, got lazy, apathetic, whatever. Ask for God's grace to love his people, to love his church like he loves his church. That you would be loved in turn, but you, God would use you, God would use the gifts that he's given you to bring health and life and joy and progress in the faith amongst us at Parkhurst Church. Father, we look at what you did in the life of Paul and how you turned that man's life around and made him obsessed with you. And we long, we long for the same kind of obsession and love for Jesus, desire for the glory of Jesus in our lives and love for the people of Jesus. We want to be a community that's together in heart and mind and purpose united by the Spirit of God on mission, together for you, contending with um, each other, striving for faith in the gospel with each other. All of these things are a gift from you. They're the work of the Spirit amongst us. We don't have it within ourselves to wind these things up and manufacture them. And so we look to you again. Please, would you capture our hearts again? Would you reveal, us, reveal Jesus in more beautiful ways to us? And give us your greater longings to be with him and to be like him. We know that this is the very best thing for us. We pray that you would loosen us from the loves of this world. The things that we obsess about here, the things that we found so much comfort and joy in. That are just gifts from you, but they're not the giver. And that you would grab a hold of our hearts again this morning. This is the very best thing for us. And we ask your mercy on us this morning, again in Jesus' name.